Uh, I look forward every weekend to being together with the Christ Journey family, and today is no exception to that. Uh, and one of the reasons I look forward to it is because we welcome the presence of God in healing power to meet with us as we gather in his name. And um, I'm thinking of that. Jesus taught that we should always pray and never not give up. Never give up, not give up. We should always pray. And uh, with that in mind, I welcome every person in every place, wherever you're making your connection with us today, in your own home or on Kindle campus, Gables campus, joining us online from across this nation and literally around the world. We welcome you. And I want to, uh, with that prayer thought in mind, remind you, Jesus taught that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. We've been speaking about the will of God in our lives, and to Jesus, this was essential nourishment for living every single day. And prayer accesses the will of God so that we can do the work and finish it. Now, you're wondering, why did I bring this? Well, this is my uh, prayer chair, actually. I brought this chair because for the past 26 years, it has been my privilege to gather with a group of prayers on Sunday mornings at 6.30 in the morning, and for the majority of those years, easily over 20, we have been praying on our Sunset Drive property every Sunday morning at 6.30. Now, why am I telling you that? Because this is not a private gathering. If you've been longing for more prayer, for more time with God, and you would be willing to pray with your pastor at 6.30 on Sunday morning, Eastern time, if you wanna find your way to Miami, then just all you gotta do is bring your chair. All you gotta do is bring your chair. In fact, I prayed in this chair today, every Sunday. And I invite you, anybody who wants to come, it's not a private gathering, but it is, you gotta choose to come, you gotta wanna pray and then bring your chair. And I'm gonna leave this chair here today to remind us that for easily 25 years, our gathering has been prayed for every time we've gathered and today is no exception especially in light of the serious and uh, personal topic that we're exploring. Once upon a time, there lived an emperor who spent all of his time trying out new clothes. And two travelers uh, who really were swindlers, they heard about the emperor and his love for clothes, so they went to him and they introduced themselves as the finest tailors from a distant land, famous weavers, uh, whose story was told far and near, and they claimed to be able to uh, craft for him a truly fine clothing that would represent beautiful patterns made with magic thread. The thread would appear invisible to anyone who is stupid or incompetent. And they told him that they would make for him a special outfit of this thread, and fools would not be able to see it. And so the emperor readily agreed and would be happy to have a tool that could expose the fools in his midst. Well, he gave them a lot of money and they busily went to work on their clothing, this sewing of clothing with empty looms and needles without thread. And the emperor, as they were working, sent some ministers to see how the garment was coming and they went and they watched, but they saw nothing. Still, they praised the garment, fearing that they would be called fools and incompetent. 
Well, soon, then the swindlers took to the emperor their creation, and like the others, the emperor saw nothing. But he didn't want to admit being stupid or incompetent, so he praised it as magnificent, exquisite. What amazing design. And the swindlers then helped him get dressed in the invisible clothing, the trousers, the coat, the mantle. And as they put on each piece, they told him that it was going to feel light as a spider web in the wearing. One would almost think he had had nothing on at all because that was part of the magic. That's what makes it so fine. And so dressed, off with the emperor in procession under his royal canopy, and the entire town had gathered to see the emperor's new clothes. The emperor proudly marched along the streets as his subjects cheered loudly, though none of them saw any clothes. And then a child said, but he hasn't got anything on. And then the whispers started rippling through the crowd. A child said, he hasn't got anything on. And then finally, the whole town that had gathered was saying, he hasn't got anything on. And of course, the emperor heard them and shivered because he suspected they were right. But he told himself, you know, the parade, the procession has got to go on. So he stood up even more proudly as his nobleman held his train, the train of his garment that wasn't there at all. Hans Christian Andersen first published that story 184 years ago, 1837, and it's still fresh with application today. The questions are, how do you know who to believe? How do you know that they can be trusted? Who are we supposed to follow? Especially when there are so many voices and they all claim some level of authority. They all claim to have your best interest in life for your best life possible, right? Some of them even tell you that they have the perfect fit for you. And uh, it's a wardrobe that you can clothe yourself in that is made from the latest and greatest, the finest magic truth that was designed with you in mind, and of course it was because it's all about you. It's what you want, it's what you feel, it's how you design, it's you defining your own reality. And it's everywhere in our culture. And one of the places where uh, we see it most prominently probably is in sexual ethics. Everybody's got an opinion on human sexuality. Am I right about this? Ranging from discipline and purity on one side, on one hand, all the way to life and anarchy on news stories regularly about both sexual predators and sexual parades. One of the most alarming trends to me as a parent and as a pastor is one that seems to fly in the face of... Uh, the best neuroscientific evidence that we have to date. And before I tell you about it, I want to affirm our love for our young people. 
that we are a church whose heart beats for the next and rising generation, always has been. We love our young people and we thank God for them. Actually, young people, if you're listening, we need you. We need you to be able to take bold steps forward uh, that when God calls, you're willing to go. And uh, adults have things to learn from you. We need those. But young people, you also have things to learn from us. And this is what concerns me. Research indicates that the human brain isn't fully developed until age 25. This is what the brain studies show. And especially the prefrontal cortex, what is called the rational part. This is the part of our brain that responds to impulse. It does impulse control and brings good judgment and long-term consequence into our thinking and our decision-making. But that part of our brain, brain science tells us, isn't fully developed until about age 25. And yet, here's what we're reading. Young people from middle school age up are making decisions about their bodies and about their sexuality without the benefit of, is this what that means? Without the benefit of good judgment and awareness of long-term consequence. So that's alarming to me because some sexual decisions are irreversible. Some once done can't be undone. And so as a parent and a grandparent and as your pastor, this is where I I just want to say I would love for our teenagers and people making decisions about their future in this regard be spared unnecessary harm and pain. Now in his letter to the Thessalonians in the first century, Paul also speaks as a concerned parent. Chapter two, verse seven says, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much. And then he says, so that we were willing to pour out our own lives for you. And then he says in verse 11, you know, we dealt with you as a father, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you on. It's like we're the cheerleaders saying, you got this. Live lives worthy of God's calling. And so he treats them, he says, like a caring parent would their own precious children. And then in chapter four of the letter to Thessalonica, guess what he has? The sex talk. Yeah, don't worry, it won't gross you out. It's it's not long, but it is right on point. And it's just what they need to face their world of sexual chaos and confusion. Scholars tell us that in the Roman Empire, first century, where these early believers lived, it was blatantly immoral. Sexual morality, morality itself was dead, one scholar said. And that partners were changed. Marriage vows were just disregarded left and right. Partners were changed faster than we changed socks. And in Greece, Promiscuity and prostitution were part of their religious life. It was this pervasive and it was abusive. And yet Paul is writing to believers in that sexually charged, lust-driven culture and says, I'm writing to you like a gentle, like a mother would be gentle and a father would be caring. And uh, here's what he says. It is God's will that you be sanctified. That means set apart for God. 
special for God, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong another or take advantage of your brother. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction doesn't reject man, but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Now, we've been looking for the past several weeks at places in the New Testament where we are clearly told that something is, quote, the will of God, close quote. Where does the Bible say this is the will of God? And so what we've seen is that it is God's will that we be saved, that we enter into a personal relationship by grace through faith with God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's will for everybody to experience that. And then in our savedness, in this wide open space of salvation, it is God's will that we be filled with his Holy Spirit. He wants us to know him personally where the sheep, know his voice and he speaks to us and gifts us and empowers us. And then today, we're seeing that it's God's will that we be sanctified. That means that we cooperate, we cooperate, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he works in us making more room for God in our lives and in our behaviors and then sets us apart in special ways for what God has. And then he says that we should avoid sexual immorality. Now listen, what he doesn't say is we should avoid sex. No, the Bible never teaches us that. Sex is God's creation. Sex is God's good gift to us. But in so many ways, it's like fire. You know, fire on your stove can help you prepare nourishment that can keep your family strengthened. Fire in the fireplace can warm your house. But fire on the drapes and fire across the furniture, you know, fire out of control, fire beyond the boundaries, it's going to burn your house down. The word translated immorality here is a general term. It, it, it means it just covers every kind of out-of-bounds sexual activity. And in the midst of their first century world, which was a world that was engulfed with flames of lust and abuse and cultural confusion, I just talked about some of those, that all came from a life apart from God. Believers, Paul wants believers to hear this call. Don't settle for less than holy sex in your life. Now, wait up. Maybe you've never thought of those words going together. <laughs> you know, we typically don't use those two words together, holy sex, but that's what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that God's Holy Spirit wants to sanctify us all the way deep, all the way to our sexuality. And we are to cooperate with him even in the expression of our sexuality. So how are we supposed to do that? Well, three heart guards are in the text. That's what I'll call them. Number one, know God. Number two, possess your body honorably. Number three, say no to say yes. That's talking about minding the boundaries so that the fire can serve you and you won't be burned. 
And so if you want in, what we've seen is that the will of God, the way Jesus uses it, it's like God saying, now here's my best offer for your best life. Do you want in on it? And so when it comes to God's best offer for our best sex life, this is the answer to the question. Where do I begin? Number one, know God. Get to know God. From your spirit, in your soul, within your body, that's where it starts. Now, verse 5 tells us here that the heathen don't know God. Now, before you jump to conclusions here, that's not a judgment, that's a fact. They just don't know. This is the same word that Jesus uses when he's hanging on the cross, and he looks at his heathen Roman crucifiers, and he says to them, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They literally were clueless. They had no understanding. They were ignorant of the covenant God and the way that he could live within them. And so, yes, they were in the wrong. Yes, they needed forgiveness. But they are also at a very high level of not knowing, of ignorance. They just don't know, which makes me wonder in the text that we're looking at today, 1 Thessalonians 4, if Paul is saying that those lust fires that are burning out of control and affecting culture were happening at their heart because people just don't know the God who loves them. They're looking for something. They're looking for pleasure, they're looking for power, they're looking for connection, for validation, for some sense of transcendence to get beyond themselves or they wanna feel something real and the Christians that he's writing to came right out of that culture just like we come out of ours. But they also, these Christians, know the love of God in their hearts, in their spirit, in their soul. They've been saved and they are people loved by God now being filled with his spirit who is sanctifying them, who is making room for himself in them and bringing them into deep relationship with him as God makes his home in their lives. And so here's what I'm taking from that. As you get to know God in the forgiveness of sin and the fullness of his spirit, his love helps you love. Helps you love yourself, helps you love God, helps you love others. It helps your love life too. You know, God's love teaches us how to accept one another, how to forgive one another, how to make room for each other in our hearts, in our lives, in our days, in our schedules, in our feelings, and in our beds. But I got to tell you this, before Lisa and I ever shared a bed as husband and wife, we shared a Savior, a loving, living Savior who accepts us as we are, who forgives us for what we've, our sins, and then who redeems us for all that we can be. And then we, we shared his love, we shared his Holy Spirit, we shared his calling in our lives. This is our journey. She heard God speaking to her. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. He spoke to her and she said yes to him and God spoke to me and I said yes to him long before either of us knew one another. But then as we dedicated ourselves to him, he led us into each other's space and there led us to dedicate our lives to his will together, which then we shared vows of holy matrimony. And then now for years, Lisa won't let me mention, <laughs> but for all of these many years that we've been together, we've been working our way through the challenges together to come to where we are today. Now, marriage is not a cure-all. Scripture doesn't teach that. And anybody who's married knows that. 
And a lot of people who aren't yet married know that. And children who watch marriages know that. Marriage is not a cure-all. Uh, just because you're married doesn't mean that you're having healthy sexuality either. But welcoming God, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Welcoming God and his best offer into where you live within and without is the best place to start. So somebody's been praying and asking, God, do you have a soulmate for me? I'm looking for a soulmate. Who's gonna be my soulmate? Is there somebody who's gonna be my partner in life? And I'm telling you, that's a great question. God wants to answer it, and the first answer is right here. Get to know God better. That's where it starts, know God. And then second, possess your body honorably. Possess your body honorably. Verse four, learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And you know, part of what happened to me, and I believe happens to most of us believers, is that when the Holy Spirit comes alive within you, you start learning to value yourself in a different way. You start learning how to value and see worth in other people in a different way. You start seeing how much you matter, and then how much they matter, how much their lives matter, how much their bodies matter. And so then you read things in scripture that talks about us being a precious treasure to God and that how our bodies are his temple. That means God lives within our bodies. And so honor is a word that means weight, give great weight or value or respect to your body. You treat your body with deep respect as something of great value and then other people's the same way. This is the Christian view. Sometimes marriage vows, you'll hear these words, to have and to hold forsaking all others from this day forward. Those are terms of possession, possessing your body. The couple offers their bodies to one another to form their marriage. In fact, Jesus defined marriage this way. He said, this is what marriage is. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and these two will become one flesh. So the marriage act, the act of marriage, the, the union of two bodies is the act of a man and a woman possessing each other. That's what Paul's talking about here. Possess your body personally with honor and then possess your shared body in marriage personally. Paul's talking about building your own marriage nest, tending your own marriage nest and then honoring it as you have and hold one another as a one-of-a-kind treasure. One of a kind. Growth and intimacy is what marriage is about. That's what he's talking about here. In your body, your soul, and your spirit. It's like tend your own fire. Keep it burning. It's like eat from your own garden. Drink deeply from your own well. Nurture your own marriage. Because those things don't just happen. They take intentionality. And they involve learned behaviors. Learn behaviors that can improve with practice. So what Paul is saying is, practice. <laughs> practice, 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 practice in your home, in your marriage, and learn how to do it together. Now, when it comes to family life in this topic, I've listed some resources in the, the uh, message notes for today in the app, and so you can find those there. But if you're wondering, somebody's wondering, well, is it God's will to be married? Generally, generally speaking, the scripture says yes. Unless God has called you to the gift of celibacy, and that's another message for another time. But Paul is assuming the general 
teaching here that God wants his men and his women to know the challenge and joy of holy matrimony and uh, the blessings of holy sex. But how will I meet God's choice for me? Maybe you're wondering. Or how do I become God's choice for someone? Well, we talked about this last week. You pray, you seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you stay open, you listen to spirit promptings, you're willing to wait on God when he says, hold up, and then you're willing to step out when he says, show up, and then, and, but, so I would say, and then it also involves spiritual maturity. We, uh, we see mature spiritual counsel being turned to in Bible stories that involve finding God's match and God's mate. And you gotta remember, God's timing is different from ours. And preparing this talk, I thought of two men through my ministry here at uh, Christ's Journey for these years who just came right to mind. And so I called them up. I asked them if I could tell their stories. One is a doctor, the other is a lawyer. Both of them devoted Christian men, both of them eligible bachelors for their adult life. And, uh, and yet, both of them never married until the doctor at age 41, met God's choice, married at 42, and the doc just told me last week, he said, you know, she was worth the wait. Next to my salvation, my wife is the greatest gift that Jesus has ever given me. The lawyer met his match at uh, 48, became a dad by 50, and then again at 54. So some of you have been waiting a while. Why am I telling you that story? Because it answers the question, what do you do while you wait? And Paul says, follow Christ and possess your body honorably, knowing that you're never wasting time when you're waiting on God. I was asked recently uh, by a woman within the last probably two, three weeks maybe, you know, am I being punished by God? Am I being punished by God for my sexual sins? By God not letting me have a husband and kids? I said, no, no, no. I mean, Jesus took our full punishment. This is the gospel. We, we're, he, Jesus doesn't hold grudges against us for our sins. He takes all of our sins upon himself. So I want you just to send that thought back to the pit where it came from, from the liar, and here's one to replace it with. Number three, say no to say yes. Say no to say yes. This isn't about your past, it's about your future. And this one is about minding your boundaries. In building marriages present and yet to be, we mind the boundaries. Here's what Paul says to the Thessalonians. Don't do wrong to another. Don't abuse another. Don't take advantage of another. Verse six, in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish him. Oh, wait, 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 there's that word. Didn't I ask you if God was punishing me? Yeah, you know what this word is in the Greek language? It's avenge, avenge. Like, you know the Avengers, right? The Avengers? This is God saying that I will take on the Avenger role when abuse is involved against people that I love and see that justice is done. So we don't care much, I'll tell you, we don't care much for the notion of a punishing God. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about God as protector who steps up to avenge when the time, avenge the people he loves and the gift that he has given in holy sex. He said, I'm gonna show up there. Why? So you can say yes to your best life. 
How do I do that? By saying no to immorality in order to say yes to experiencing holy sex in our lives. This is God's will for his children. Now, here's what I know as a pastor. These are tender and private matters. And whenever addressing a topic that involves our bodies and our sexuality, we step into a very sacred conversation because each one of us has filters that we that we respond through, extremely personal experiences that are tender and private and, and sometimes they just echo with shame. And we're not sure what to do with them, so we stay away from them. And yet this topic is universal. You know, we all have bodies, we all have sexuality, and so would it be any surprise to you that the God who knows you and cares about you and made you and redeems you would want you to benefit from his will in this matter. You may be thinking, well, it's easy for you to say, Bill, you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I've done, you don't know what's been done to me, do you? And I gotta say, you're so right about that, I don't. But Jesus does. Jesus does, and he loves you. He wants to bring his grace and his truth into your sexuality and into your potential your best life. You know, here's the thing about Jesus, that he is able, he holds God's high standard in such a way that causes us to still feel welcome and accepted and hope in his presence. People like us who, feel sh- who, who fall short still feel welcome and accepted. For that reason, he was called a friend of sinners. I need a friend like that. Do you? Some of us have made mistakes. We were far from God. We were looking for something, something that we are now finding in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm welcoming you. I'm receiving you. I'm here to forgive you. And we found it in Christ, and he's welcoming you today. Some of us, maybe you, have... uh, have been deeply injured or hurt or abused, sexualized before your time. I mean, it's hard to even think about, much less talk about. And in matters as personal and private as these, we feel embarrassed, we feel afraid, we feel ashamed. Sometimes we just feel angry. We feel angry at others, we feel angry at ourselves. Why? Well, because we're like the emperor wearing our new clothes and we just feel so foolish and we wonder, how did I get here? May I share two verses that God has used in my life to lift me from my foolishness. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone The new is here. Thank you, Lord, that you are my wardrobe. I am clothed in your righteousness. I am armed in your spiritual armor, protected by your armor. You've got me covered, Jesus, and he's got you covered too. Your past doesn't define you. Your hormones don't define you. Your circumstances don't define you. Your feelings don't define you. Your family dysfunction doesn't define you. Social media doesn't define you. The corruption of a culture that is closing in around you doesn't define you. 
in Christ, you are a new creation, and the new is coming. That helps me. And then here's the second one. It's an invitation from God. Maybe for you today. God says, come. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, to make a cloth scarlet in those days, you dip it in the dye one time. To make it deep crimson, you dip it multiple times. What is God wanting us to know? It doesn't matter how many times you've been stained. The Lord is saying, I can wash you clean. I can make you white as snow as you come to me. So here's some of my thoughts. Singleness is not a punishment. Marriage is not a cure-all. Prostitution, pornography is not sex education. Promiscuity is not a life force that gives life. But following Christ is not about us simply polishing our halos. It's about fighting for the purity of heart, mind, body, and spirit that can lift us into God's best offer so that God's desire for your life in love can come true. It's about grace blowing away shame and inviting Jesus to be, who is full of grace and truth, to create a space for healing in us and in our lives. And you know what? It's never too late to take a step toward healing. How do I know that's true? Because nothing is too hard for God. And today, God is still doing the impossible. What we think is impossible, God can take us into. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for being a friend to sinners like me, like us, and for being willing to tell us the truth in a way that helps us understand one another, understand ourselves, and perhaps make room at the cross like you do for everybody to find hope. We pray for our world today because we see such distress, such chaos, such trouble in so many corners. And we entrust that to you. But when it comes to us, we, we pray right here for us at home and for our marriages, for our children, especially when it comes to the forces that are trying to clothe us in their identity. We pray you would help us find our true selves in you, in your forgiveness, in your righteousness, and in your will for our lives. Now you can lean in from where you are to what God is saying to you about this moment for you and your journey. Please do. He loves you. He is full of grace for you. 
But as you have listened to his truth, would you let him take you closer to freedom today? Maybe you're praying for someone else that you care for deeply. Someone else is coming to mind. Or maybe this is the day you know that you want to make room in your heart for God. So here's a a prayer you can pray. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for loving me the way you do. Thank you that your forgiveness is greater than all of my failures. And I welcome your forgiveness to wash me clean according to your promise. Fill me with your spirit now as I seek to follow you and do your will. Amen.